0: Welcome to the Leadership Hour. This is Steve Adubato. You're listening to us on AM 970, the answer, the best radio station around, particularly at 2 p.m. on Sundays afternoon, uh, Sunday afternoons. Uh, I'm here with Mary Gamba, my co-host and colleague. Mary, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing really great, Steve. How are you?
0: It's another beautiful Sunday. People are listening to us on the radio right now, or they can also check us out on the podcast. By the way, where can people get the podcast?
1: The easiest way is to go to stand-deliver.com, and they'll link right from there. You can listen to all the past shows that we've done and episodes and a bunch of great free articles and leadership tips and tools. By the way, I didn't hear that. What was the website again? Stand-deliver.com. I was joking. It's Stand, S-T-A-N-D. <laughs> you scared me. I thought I got it wrong. No, you didn't. You got it right.
0: Stand-deliver.com. <laughs> and when Mary talks about... Um, articles. Those are articles that I've been writing for years about leadership and communication related issues. And also, you can check out my book, Lessons in Leadership, um, excerpts on the website, and you can purchase it there as well. So uh, in a little bit, we're going to be joined by a university president, Joe Marbach, who is the president of Georgian Court University. Joe is a uh, political scientist by trade. He has studied political leadership, and we'll be talking to him about that. But I want to get into a totally different... Well, maybe it's not totally different, but... It's important. So I read an article. This particular article came from the New York Post, which I read every day, as well as the New York Times, so I can see two different views of the world. So uh, I'm reading this horrific story about a little girl, a 12-year-old little girl by the name of Mallory Grossman, who unfortunately back on uh, June 14, 2017, committed suicide. This a little girl. You're going to ask, what, what, why Steve talking about this on the Leadership Hour And it'll be clear in just a moment. So Mallory, this uh, beautiful little girl, 12 years old, a gymnast and athlete in her school, was being terrorized and bullied by other kids, both face-to-face and on social media. A whole range of direct confrontations with other students who said to her, Mallory, when are you going to kill yourself? On social media, tweets and Instagram uh, posts, if you will, that said, Mallory, you have no friends. That's why you eat alone. When are you going to kill yourself? And the mom, in this case, got involved. Her mom said that they went and actually spoke to the principal of the school. And um, check this case out. It's uh, Mallory Grossman. The mom went to the principal of the school. And by the way, it's a court case, and we don't try to talk about court cases here, but we do try to make sense of anecdotal information. And she said, finally, after nine months of this both online and face-to-face bullying, of her daughter, Mallory, the mom in this case, uh, went to the principal of the school. And uh, this is what she said happened. I'm reading directly from the New York Post. Quote, during a three-hour meeting, the principal of the school handed a poker chip to the preteen, that is Mallory, and then directed the little girl, Mallory, to inscribe her initials on the token and asked her the question, quote, are you all in? Mallory was humiliated, according to the Suit according uh, to the principal, uh, excuse me. The principal, according to the case, lacked any suggestions to punish the offenders, these other kids, engage their parents, but instead placed the bulk of the responsibility on Mallory's situation on Mallory. Now, I don't know how this court case is going to play out, but say for a second, Mary Gamba, Steve Autobado here with Mary Gamba, say for a second that it's remotely true that this little girl was being bullied the way she was. I bet you there's a bullying policy at the school. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. There's anti-bullying coordinators at most, if not all, of the schools, at least in New Jersey where you and I both live.
0: Procedures, policies, right? Absolutely. But then it happens,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. right?
0: If it's true that the principal in this case, and you can check out his name because you can check out the Mallory Grossman case, if the principal actually did not bring in the other students, who allegedly were doing this, and their names are on the Twitter feeds, you can find out who they are, together with their parents and confront them directly and say, this has to stop and there are going to be direct consequences. If that happened, even remotely like that, what kind of leadership do you consider that to be?
1: That's very passive leadership. Unfortunately, As you had said, there are many schools across the state and in the country that have anti-bullying rules. They have reporting policies. If you are being bullied, this is a policy. This is how you report the bullying. There but are they,
0: laws on the books in the state legislature about bullying.
1: That's all good and great. But when it comes to the implementation and to the human side of things. Leadership. That's the leadership part. And, and you had said, what does this have to do with leadership? And that's where the word that comes up is this has everything to do with leadership. It has to do with practicing the procedures, putting them into place, realizing that it's people. Practicing what you preach. Practicing what you preach. And don't just check off a box that said, sure, someone said that I needed to have an anti-bullying procedure. It's right there. You see it on my website. Here it is. We hired somebody. Joan is going to be doing the anti-bullying. We covered our behinds go to Joan. But what is that principal going to do? What is Joan going to do? What are they going to do to make sure that not only is that policy communicated to the children, the teachers, the families, but what are they going to do after something like this that is so horrific happens to ensure that, number one, the students responsible are held accountable, and number two, what can we take away from this? What did we do wrong? What can we learn? And that's where I think a lot of leaders just are missing the boat.
0: Well, I want to be clear on a couple things. Several hours after this meeting took place between um, Mallory, her mom, and the principal of the school, Mallory uh, committed suicide. Now, I want to be really clear. I am in in no way saying, we are in no way saying that there's a direct correlation in any way between the principal's alleged actions in this court case, which means he did nothing to deal with it in terms of the perpetrators and their parents, and what Mallory chose to do, we don't know what emotional issues she was having. We have no idea. But here's my concern. I would coach a lot of people, Mary, who know that there are real situations that need to be dealt with directly. But just say for argument's sake, for the Leadership Hour, Steve her here with Mary Gamba, say for argument's sake that the leader, in this case the principal, didn't call in the other kids, didn't bring in their parents, because frankly— It was too uncomfortable, and he didn't want the other parents to be mad or get upset because he was saying that their kids did this, and he's showing them the tweets. He's showing them the Instagram posts. He has evidence that they said directly to Mallory, when are you going to die, right? He didn't want to deal with that just for argument's sake. How can you be—you ever imagine? Think about this. How do people even get into leadership positions if they don't have the character, the integrity, and the courage to take that stuff on because it's uncomfortable?
1: Well, that opened up a Pandora's box as far as getting into leadership positions, whether it is in academia, if it's in law enforcement, sometimes. It could be
0: in medicine. It could be in medicine, business, business, accounting. the, the, The surgeon, the brain surgeon, the best brain surgeon becomes the chair of the surgery department what training does he or she have to be the leader of that department exactly
1: just because you get that title of principal chairman ceo coo cfo whatever the title is does not mean that you are equipped with the tools the leadership tools to deal with real complex challenges title is not leadership title is nowhere near close to being leadership especially in today's day and age where there we have social media everything is so quick back in the day you would have to wait for a newspaper or go home and watch the news at night Everything is instantaneous and words hurt and actions hurt and things that people say about one another. So if it's in the workforce, if it's in the school, if there is not someone steering that ship and making sure that there are consequences for people's action, it's going to have devastating effects. But say for
0: argument's sake that the principal has a good heart. He wanted to do the right thing but didn't have the courage or the integrity or whatever to do it. Isn't it also the responsibility of those who put him or anyone in a position to lead who does not lead? Isn't it a failure of their leadership to put someone in a position where they were not equipped to be in the first place?
1: Yes. And that's where the top down, if you are looking, say, in that situation, whoever put the And by the way, legal
0: court case, we have no idea what actually happened. I was just reading to you from the Post, so go ahead.
1: Exactly. And again, to apply it to a larger stage in terms of if we're talking about a corporation— the person who decides to put someone say if the CEO decides to put somebody into a CFO position or a COO right. position, they needed to have done their due diligence to know that that person is equipped with the tools and not just on paper of course on paper oh yeah they're, they're a CPA they've taken every class they even have a PhD that doesn't mean anything it does not mean that they have those human the ability to be human and connect with their team
0: and courage and I'll give you another example. I mentioned this in an earlier edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. By the way, go on our website, stand-deliver.com. You can check out past episodes, if you will, of uh, the Leadership Hour with Steve Adubato and my colleague, Mary Gamba. I wrote about this in my book, Lessons in Leadership, which you spent two years helping me write with our colleague, Victoria Mm -hmm. Eisenstein. There's a chapter in this book about great leaders taking responsibility, and here's why I'm raising it. I said this on a previous Leadership Hour episode, and we're going to talk to Joe Marbach, the president of Georgian Court University about this question as it relates to political leadership. There is a guy who became the captain of a – is it a cruise liner? There is.
1: Yeah, it was a cruise um, liner.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was Captain Shishetty, I think his name mm-hmm. is. He was a great, if you will, navigator of a ship.
1: Yeah, he could drive it. He technically, could steer it. He could start the ship. He can get it from point A to point B.
0: Technically sound.
1: But it stopped there.
0: What happened – with Captain Shashetti when there was an accident on that cruise liner. Allegedly, he was in fact waving to people on the shore, mm-hmm. showing off with the boat, and the boat smashed into some rocks. Because he got the, too close to shore. Because he got too close to shore. The boat was taking on water. Mm-hmm. What leadership traits did this very technically, allegedly, technically sound captain who knew how to navigate a ship, supposedly? What kind of leadership traits did he take when it came to dealing with the thousands of people on the ship and how to get them off safely versus Captain Shishetti making sure that he got off safely?
1: He jumped ship as soon as he knew even worse than him jumping ship, which I think when fight or flight, that reaction on all of us, of course your instinct is going to be to save yourself. He didn't even let everyone know that the ship was sinking. If I'm recalling that and initially. He jumped into a lifeboat. he jumped ship and then said, oh, by the way— the ship is sinking.
0: And I'm off the boat. Yeah. And I'm, I'm off not the even boat. on the boat.
1: And I, I, you know, it was in the dozens of people passed away because of that lack of leadership.
0: So here's the thing what I was saying to Mary as we were getting ready for the leadership hour this week is that I've coached people to run better meetings, to make stronger presentations, more dynamic and effective presentations, to become more strategic thinkers, how to handle performance issues with your people. What I can't coach people, what I can't coach people teach people to do. You'll never really understand it or become it based on reading my book or anyone's book on leadership, John Maxwell or any of the other great authors around leadership, Stephen Covey, etc. You can't teach courage. You can't teach integrity. Either you have it or you don't. And Captain Shachetti did not have it. I don't know about the principle in the case of Mallory Grossman. But if, 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 in fact, he didn't have the courage to take this on It's sad. Game, set, match. Exactly. I'm sorry for, uh, I'm not sorry for anything. I, I wanted to bring this up. I wanted to talk about it. Because having a bullying policy, having a procedure, having it posted everywhere, whether it's in a school or workplace, that's fine. But don't confuse that with leadership. That is, quote, unquote, management, meaning you've covered your behind, you did what you needed to do. But leadership is about going well beyond that and doing things that are much more difficult challenging, uncomfortable. Not everyone's born to be a leader. Steve Adebato, this is the Leadership Hour. I make mistakes at this every day. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba. We'll be back right after this with the president of Georgian Court University, Dr. Joe Moorbach.
1: This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com.
0: This is Steve Adubato. You've been listening to every Sunday at 2 p.m. on AM 970. The Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. Actually, it should be called the Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba Leadership Hour because Mary's in the house.
1: I wondered how many weeks it would take to get that credit. I'm extremely excited, and I'll have the graphic and the logo changed tomorrow. No,
0: no, I was just saying hypothetically that we could call it that. I wasn't saying we actually will do that. Okay. Are you going to negotiate? By the way, we're going to have a discussion on Leadership and Negotiation in a Future Edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. Because let me just say this about Mary Gamba. We've been working together for 18 years. She has become a negotiator extraordinaire, and she was not in the beginning. She was uncomfortable. She wasn't that confident. She didn't ask for what she wanted. She would turn red when she asked for something. And I was like, I don't think so, Mary. Let me just say, when we negotiate now, I'm afraid of her.
1: Yes, and that's exactly how I want it. It's perfect.
0: Anyone can learn new leadership uh, traits and skills. And the gentleman we're about to introduce teaches it, lives it. He is uh, a political scientist by trade. And today, uh, Joe Marbach, Dr. Joe Marbach, is in fact the president of Georgian Court University. Good to see you, Joe. Good afternoon, Steve. How are you? And how are you, Mary?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much.
0: By the way, Joe, real quick, uh, let folks know Georgian Court, the uh, territory you're in. We are in Lakewood, New Jersey in Ocean County. Great. By the way, Joe has joined us many times on uh, State of Affairs, um, which is a program we do with public broadcasting as well as on Fios. Joe actually joined us recently talking about a whole range of political issues. The second half of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour is State of Affairs. Joe and some other really terrific leaders in the state will be on that as well on the, I wasn't going to say broadcast side, but we're broadcasting right now, on the video TV side. Hey, Joe, can we do something different with you than we have not done with anyone else and talk quote-unquote political leadership, do you think, or in what ways? Let me ask it this way. Dr. Joe Marbach, Georgian Court University, in what ways is political leadership any different in your mind than leadership in a business or a nonprofit or a university?
3: I think it varies significantly uh, because of who holds you accountable. Um, And the style of leadership you have to perform is different Um, If you're in a business, it's your stockholders, right? So oftentimes it's profit is the bottom line. If you're in a nonprofit or an educational facility like myself, it's essentially the students, the clients that we serve. But if you're a political leader, it's all of the above. You've got to take care of not only the folks who voted for you, but if you're an ethical leader, you've got to take care of everybody, whether they voted for you or not, because you represent all the constituents. It's everyone in your community, in your State in your country?
0: Mm, devil's advocate. As a political leader, why not just play to your base? They're the people who supported you. The heck with the people who didn't.
3: And in some cultures, that is perfectly legitimate, and that's what some leaders actually follow because they're guided by the polls. But again, I said if you're an ethical political leader,
4: you represent
0: <laughs> everybody. Ethical is the operative word, Dr. Marbach?
3: I believe it is. Um, if you really live up to the standards that you swear to when you take Mm -hmm. the oath of office, you're the president of everyone, the mayor of everyone, the governor Mm -hmm. of everyone in your country, state, or town.
0: See, let's follow up on this. Uh, In my book, Lessons in Leadership, which I know Dr. Marbach has not just in his office at Georgian Corp, but he has it um, in his bedroom right there on the night table, and he reads it virtually every night to learn something new. First of all, is that true, Joe?
3: It is in my office as we speak, Steve. Would you like me to pull it down off the shelf?
0: No, but I'm going to send another one for your home um, free of charge. But here's my point. (laughs) There is a chapter in this book that I talk about taking responsibility. And I know we talk about this theme a lot on the uh, Leadership Hour. But taking political responsibility is an interesting question. In this book, Lessons in Leadership, I challenged and I took a lot of heat from some friends of mine. I'm a former state legislator who happened to have been a Democrat back in the day when I was in the legislature, and I challenged and criticized Hillary Clinton big time because I kept saying, and I know people say, oh, this is a dead issue, and I'm not saying it as an issue, Joe. I'm saying it as a lesson in leadership. I kept saying, when the whole email thing happened, and Hillary Clinton had 16 different explanations for what she did, what she didn't do, wasn't my pride, and I didn't know, he, he did it, I didn't do it, I'm sitting there going, why can't you just say I screwed up, own it from the beginning? Am I, it's not just about Hillary Clinton. It could be about Donald Trump, Barack Obama, anyone else. Why is it so darn hard or seemingly so hard for political leaders to say, I screwed up?
3: It's a great question, Steve. I think it is in part uh, ego and it's in part fear of showing weakness, fear of showing one's human side. Um, but any lesson in leadership that i could repeat is essentially what you said. If you make a mistake, own up to it, move on, and you'll, you'll be forgiven, and we can move on. But it's often like, you know, Watergate, the, the cover-up was worse than the actual crime. That's right. And I think that's what happens. And get get so tied into not wanting to appear to be flawed mm. that they're covering up for that with lots of different explanations, and then they just kind of spin their own well of distortions and sometimes outright lies.
0: Yeah, well, you know what's interesting? Again, this is not partisan. It's not political. I don't have a horse in any of these races. I just cover them as a broadcaster and journalist. But I do think that's something that uh, the president, Donald Trump, has in common with Hillary Clinton. And I'll tell you what it is. I don't think there's a track record, whether you like the president, agree with him or disagree with him, I do not think there's a track record of taking responsibility. I think Hillary Clinton... Would not, could not refuse to take responsibility for the email fiasco. I think President Barack Obama, and I wrote this in my book, you could like him, that's fine, but I thought he did not take full responsibility for the screw-up around the debacle known as healthcare.gov, the website that they couldn't pull off where you're supposed to get Uh, Obamacare health insurance but the website was never set up the way it should have I'm not saying he was doing the website himself but he put the people in place to do it they never checked along the way uh, to find out where it was and in the end it was screwed up I don't think he took responsibility and truthfully I don't think Donald Trump my opinion all the way back in the day when he was mocking John McCain didn't take responsibility for it when he mocked a reporter from the New York Times who was disabled, didn't take responsibility for it. I think Donald Trump believes that you don't apologize and you don't take responsibility because just as you said, Dr. Marbach, I'll get off my soapbox now, that it shows weakness. I don't think it shows weakness. Jump in, Joe.
3: No, I agree, Steve. In fact, it actually shows the opposite. It shows strength. It shows an ability to learn from one's mistake and to move on. You know, who you fail to quote is Harry Truman. Where does the buck stop? Right here at my desk. You know, if you're at the top, then you're responsible for all of it. So whether it was technicians at you know, the U.S. government that couldn't get health running or, you know, it's the current president who is amazing in his ability to turn defeat into victory. So <laughs> if we look at the current issues of separation of families,
0: as we do this program, that's a complex issue. He kept saying it wasn't, again, not political. He said, it's not me, it's Congress. You could have any view you want politically. But then he turned around and it was an executive order where he said he couldn't do it at first, then he did it. My only question is could, if the, Mary, mm-hmm. you have your own views politically. We're not going to turn this into a political show. But if the president had said, you know what, I miscalculated on this. I do want strong borders, but you know what? I didn't think it was going to turn out this way with the kids being separated. And I've got to fix it. And I learned from my mistakes.
1: Would he look any weaker? I think that most leaders think that will make them look almost human when they want to be superhuman. They want to be in charge. They want to be confident. And I agree with what Dr. Marbach said. It's a fear of showing a weakness. And with Donald Trump, definitely it is ego that he wants... And with e- Hillary
0: Clinton, I think it's ego.
1: With almost all of the leaders that we're talking about, it's ego. And that is not good, it's not healthy. And what we need to see from our leaders in politics and business is just the sincerity that they are human and they do make mistakes and it's okay.
0: So Joe, bring this back to the larger question of leadership outside of politics. As the president of the university, you make a decision. It turns out, not just wrong, but there are consequences. Could you say to in front of your board, your students, your faculty, "Listen, I screwed up. It's on me. I own it." Doesn't that make you look weak?
3: To some, it may, but I have done that and made that mistake. And uh, at the end of the day, the people who know and care about the institution actually appreciate it, and really? they say, "Yes, thank you for standing up for what we believe in, even though you may have made a mistake." But we believe in second chances, and you know, we believe in giving somebody the benefit of the doubt, that it was an honest mistake. And I think that's what, at the end of the day, if you can relate to people, what your mistake was done was well-intended but misguided, people can accept that and move on.
0: You know, uh, by the way, listening to Dr. Joe Marbach, who is the president of Georgian Court University, one of our longtime friends in public broadcasting, Um, Joe's been on with us so many times. I've learned so much from him. By the way, Joe, let everyone know the website. People can go to Georgian Court and find out more.
3: It's just www.georgian.edu.
0: Could you spell Georgian?
3: G e o r g i a n.
0: Georgian Court down Dot in uh, edu. down in the beautiful Jersey Shore, but students come from all over. Uh, Joe, one more question before we let you go. In in the book Lessons in Leadership, I often write about what we learn from our mistakes, and that true failure is the inability or the refusal to learn from our mistakes. Is that overly philosophical?
3: No, I actually believe that's right on, Steve. We know we're not perfect. No one is. And the minute you start thinking you are is when you're going to set yourself up for downfall. So you're going to, everybody's going to make mistakes, Learn from them, move on, accept them, and you'll be better off, not only as a leader, but as an individual and as a person.
0: Great leaders don't cover up, do they?
3: No, great leaders admit when they've made a mistake and they move on from it.
0: And they don't point fingers, do they, Joe?
3: Unfortunately not. We're often pointed at.
0: (laughs) You're listening to uh, Joe Marbach, the president of First Class University, Georgian Court University. Joe, uh, thank you, my friend. Mary, you want to say goodbye to Joe?
1: Thank you, Joe. Oh, was my pleasure. Thank
0: you. Uh, Always great having you. By the way, check out Joe Marbach uh, on State of Affairs with us. He's on an awful lot, and every time, like I said, we learn new stuff. Last time I was on with Joe, we talked about the tone of political discourse in our nation and how divided and polarized we are. Thank you, Joe. Take care, buddy. Good to have a good afternoon. You got it. Uh, This is Steve Adubato. Mary Gamba is here. We'll be right back right after this.
1: This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com.
0: Steve Adubato here. This is the Leadership Hour. I'm here with Mary Gamba. We are on uh, AM 970. The answer It is Sunday afternoon, a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Uh, You're listening to us. Uh, Hopefully... Everything is fine where you are in your home, and and, uh, things are going well, and you are the leader of your home. (laughs) Um, Mary, real quick, biggest takeaways from listening to Mary Gamma, Dr. Joe Marbach, your biggest takeaways?
1: Definitely do not point fingers at others. Uh, The best leaders are those that accept responsibility, even if it was not their mistake, even if it was not their failure – The best leaders that I've seen, and you do it all the time on behalf of our team, if one of our team members makes a mistake and it may seem really egregious at the time, you will own it when appropriate and take responsibility because in the end, you are the leader of the organization. As you said earlier, you put that person into that position. And by doing that, not only does it show the employee or team member that you believe in them, you're also Mm. there to support them as well.
0: Let's follow up on on this whole question. By the way, go on our website to... Read some articles I've written on the subject of leadership and responsibility at stand, S-T-A-N-D, dash, deliver.com. Stand-deliver.com. Articles are free. We don't charge a buck or two, which some people do. Uh, but the book is there, Lessons in Leadership, if you want it as well. Um, Mary, real quick before I get to this question, Twitter and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Get that Twitter, out there
1: the Twitter, Steve Audubato, That's A-D-U-B-A-T-O. So you can follow Steve on Twitter, Steve Audubato, And then on Facebook, Steve Adubato, Ph.D.
0: Okay, so... Here's what I've been thinking. Mary mentioned the whole thing of leaders take responsibility, not just for themselves and their mistakes, but team members. This is an interesting question. Real-life situation just happened this week. We had, let's just say, a stakeholder of ours. I often call people stakeholders, people you have to have relationships with. We had a stakeholder write me an email, send an email to me, and say that he or she had a less-than-great experience with one of our team members who we happen to think – is a superstar. Mm-hmm. This is a superstar in our All team. All true, yes. And this person said, you know what? I had an interaction with that particular person and it didn't go well and I don't think that he or she handled it well and I'm very upset and I want you to know that. Now, my first instinct was to say, listen, I know so-and-so. He or she is terrific. This is ridiculous. But I remember the email I wrote, which was, I absolutely apologize for any situation that you perceived in this way. Um, that is not what our organization is about. I will speak to so-and-so about the situation. Um, what's the difference between owning it, which I did and I fully apologized and took responsibility for it, but how about if I think our team member actually did, I'm this is hypothetical. If I think our team member did the right thing, where's the role for a leader in, quote, backing up your person, defending your person versus throwing them under the bus and is there a balance, which I was trying to strike there?
1: There's definitely a balance. You need to first think of the organization and that key stakeholder, he or she, where they fit into the overall picture. So in that situation, you need about needed, relationships. It's about relationships. We talk about hugging our good friend. Jack Mitchell. Jack
0: Mitchell wrote the book, Hug Your Customers. Check it out, by the way. So
1: it means just making sure that you are doing right by your key stakeholders. And if that means that sometimes you just need to own it on behalf of one of your team members. And now if that team member, if he or she really did do something that was either... uh, We're talking about
0: perceived, Mary.
1: Perceived as uh, not professional or whatever the situation is, then you do need to own it. And as you did, you were very specific to say that it would be addressed. It's not like you just said, oh, sorry you said what you're going to do about it.
0: But I am want to push you a little further. That's a question of perception of how something was handled, and I totally mm-hmm. respect the other person's point of view. And the person on our team who was challenged in this uh, is a superstar, no doubt about it. What about when someone, okay, well, I deal with uh, accounting firms, law firms, hospitals, you know, all the people we coach. Uh, by the way, uh, real quick, thanks, I'm going to put you on the spot. Thanks to all of our uh, Stand and Deliver clients, including oh, RWJ Barnabas Health. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, Gibbons, the law firm, we have uh, Valley National Bank, uh, Hackensack, Meridian Health, you got any others?
1: Uh, We've got Horizon, we've got uh, NJ Sharing Network is such a great friend to us. You can check them out as well, New Jersey Resources. And the Kessler Foundation as well. And the Kessler Foundation. So so the
0: reason, uh, yeah, we had to plug that because we can. So uh, here's the question. With some of our clients and others, you miss a deadline with a client. You get information wrong. It's not someone's perception of what went wrong. It went wrong. We screwed up. We lost your money. We hurt you. But the leader himself or herself didn't do it directly. How the heck with a minute and a half or so left, how do you acknowledge it, take responsibility without throwing your staff person, your team member under the bus when they, in fact, screwed up?
1: Sometimes you have to throw them under the bus, and that's okay. But you, people say leaders defend their people. You can def- you could accept responsibility. In other words, they did make a mistake. We dropped the ball on this, and you would say we. You wouldn't say, "Oh, Susan dropped the ball on that." You oh, would oh, say stay on
0: this. We have a lot of ads. Uh, look at if you look at our, uh, our broadcast website at steve uh, steveoutabattle steve You see a lot of our sponsors. There have been times where we put up the sponsor's name, spell the name of the sponsor wrong.
1: Exactly. Exactly. That's
0: not their opinion. We screwed up.
1: But the sponsor isn't going to want to hear from, in in that case, it might have even been an intern that we had helping out in the office, helping us to the, update. Who's responsible for the intern? Exactly. Me? Well, no, but there's three levels the in between. The answer is yes. Well, yes, in the end. Yes, go ahead. But you are the one that is responsible for coming back to the team and dealing with the team internally. But outward facing, you need to accept responsibility because that person who was wronged doesn't want to hear from that intern. What or about if I
0: say, hold on, we have a 21-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid. Uh, whomever our head of marketing our head of communication mm-hmm. whatever just want you to know it wasn't me they screwed up you say is that good leadership
1: it is not there is no it needs to be a we it needs to be that you need to own it as I well as do leader it. doesn't matter you put that person in that position to either succeed or fail you're going to take the credit if they succeed of course you'll also say great job to them as well but if they failed you also that's need to on me yeah it that's is. on any leader it is on any leader
0: You are darn right. That's why Mary Gamba is so smart. I'm good. And that's why she's trying to take over the show and make it the Steve Adubato and Mary Gamba Leadership Hour. This is AM 970. Um, Can't thank our friends enough, Jerry Crowley um, and the folks, uh, and Laura Schaefer as well. Laura and the team at uh, AM 970, thank you for this opportunity to be on the air. This is the Leadership Hour. Check out right after this uh, State of Affairs uh, that I'll be hosting with leaders in the state of New Jersey dealing with challenging and difficult problems. Our website, again, is stand dash deliver.com. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Adubato, A-D-U-B-A-T-O. And we will check you out next week on The Leadership Hour.
1: This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey.
0: This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Patrick Dunnegan. At Gibbons, we believe that citizens need to be informed about the complex issues that affect their lives. That's why we're proud to support the programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television.
4: State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio at Two Gateway. Funding has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons PC, Johnson & Johnson. Englewood Health, Suez, water solutions to meet tomorrow's environmental challenges. NJ Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan. Turn a dream into a degree. And by New Jersey Council of County Colleges. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association. And by Insider NJ.
0: State of Affairs, I'm Steve Adubato. We are coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in beautiful Newark, New Jersey. It is my honor and pleasure to once again welcome Greg Lalavie, who is Business Manager, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, which has how many members? 7,100. Tell everyone what you guys do.
2: We're the men and women who operate and maintain heavy construction equipment. Cranes, bulldozers, build roads, build bridges, build buildings all kinds of infrastructure projects.
0: Okay, you've been with us many times talking about infrastructure, jobs, the economy, transportation. Can we go right to the Gateway Tunnel? We had Cory Booker, Senator Cory Booker, United States Senator Cory Booker, sitting right here yesterday, we taping yesterday. He said if this tunnel is not built, the Gateway Tunnel, it is devastating, not just for New Jersey and New York, but for the Northeast Corridor in the nation, you say?
2: Uh, absolutely true. Ten uh, percent of the U.S. GDP relies on transit between New Jersey and New York. So if we don't get this program done, uh, that's the risk we're taking. What
0: stands in the way? Because I thought that during the Obama Obama administration, dollars have been set aside to do this. What has happened?
2: Well, President Trump came in and said that there was no deal in place. Um, Because it
0: was Obama's deal, not his
2: deal? I don't know the reason why, but he said there was nothing in writing. So in his mind, there was no deal. Uh, So at the end of the day, I think we have to get all sides to come together and figure out what they will do so that we can get this thing done. So people can understand, Greg, um,
0: why this is not an inside the beltway, if you will, Washington, or even a Statehouse issue, that it affects everyone. Help people really understand that, transportation, jobs, the economy.
2: Well, we have to keep people moving, keep goods and services moving. If the gateway program in its totality were to be built, uh, we're talking about the possibility of having freight rail into New York City, which would take trucks off the road, um, it's a it's a big mobility issue, uh, which is uh, lost productivity. Um, you know, if we lost the trains uh, totally, there'd be an estimated $100 million a day in lost productivity.
0: Let me give you another example. Say one of the
2: tunnels has to be, quote-unquote,
0: shut down for repair. What happens?
2: Uh, we lose three-quarters of our train capacity from 24 trains an hour to six trains an hour. It's devastating. How, how are people then going to get back and forth to New York City? I, it's right now that we move 450 trains per day between Newark and New York 200,000 passengers so if you took 3 quarters of them and had to put them in their cars on the road uh with the current traffic situation we have um, it would be bedlam
0: okay so the murphy administration as we speak we're doing this uh literally a couple days a few days before the budget is supposed to be struck on the last day of june we don't know what's going to happen we don't know if the government's going to be shut down cross our fingers but that's not actually a plan how does what happens in the state house around these budget negotiations impact you and those uh, your members and the larger transportation issues that matter in the state
2: well first go- governor murphy made a very big strong move uh, by ordering transit to put up money for the portal bridge project you mean
0: transit we say transit you mean new jersey new transit new jersey transit
2: which is it or is it not a state
0: agency I believe it is. Is it so- so-called a so-called quasi-state agency, which means the governor appoints the people, I believe, who are commissioners, but they're supposedly independent, but the reality is if he dedicates the state dollars to New Jersey
2: Transit, does that have to get approved in the budget? I don't believe it does, no. Okay, um, so what's, what's at stake here with Transit? Well, with, with Transit financing the project, Governor Murphy's put a big marker out on the table. Uh, Secretary Chow, the U.S. Department of Transportation has always said New York and New Jersey need skin in the game uh, for the Gateway pro- Program in general. Uh, Portal Bridge is part of the Gateway Program, so Governor Murphy I think is Where's putting Where's Portal, go-
0: Bridge, Portal Bridge? Where is that?
2: A- in Kearney, through, uh, over the Hackensack River.
0: You know, put this in larger perspective. We've had many conversations before. Um, Greg and, and his colleagues are they're actually one of the underwriters of what we do here on Uh, the Caucus Educational Corporation and and frankly we're dedicated to trying to help people understand the larger transportation infrastructure issues. Bridges. Could you give me a percentage, I know the DOT, the Department of Transportation looks at this, what percentage of our bridges are either crumbling, falling (laughs) apart or we don't know when they could go and I'm not trying to be an alarmist here but they're real numbers from engineers.
2: Yeah and it's probably somewhere around a third are structurally deficient or functionally obsolete Uh, Functionally obsolete being that it's carrying traffic that it was not originally engineered to carry. Uh, It's just a a reflection of our population growth and the added traffic on the roads. How about the roads? Uh, How bad? They could could do with a lot of improvement. There's a lot of choke points. Um, We all know where traffic builds up every day. I live in Somerset County. If you don't get to the confluence of 78 and 287, uh, before four o'clock in the afternoon, you'll be sitting in a pretty long traffic line that goes back to Watchung. You
0: know what's so interesting? There's always a crisis going on in New Jersey. The question is, why is transportation, you know, combined with bridges, roads, and the disrepair, the crumbling, the falling apart, why is this not a crisis until some horrific thing happens? You remember the mianus Bridge not too long ago uh, in another state? It happens, middle of the night, it collapses, people in those cars fall into the river and they die.
2: I don't, again, want to be an alarmist, but is that what it takes? Unfortunately, it seems to be uh, what it takes. And the real problem with it is, uh, talking about gateway again, you referred to possibly losing one tunnel. If we lose that on a timeline that we don't control with engineering, thought, planning, and construction, then we have to do it under duress, which is more expensive, um, you know, and and all kinds of the the, uh, cataclysm of not having planned it all out. And then will people then turn around and say, hey, why didn't the government do something about this? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> to what degree, I, listen, I know you lobby in, in, a, in a, the appropriate way and you deal with state officials, the legislative side, the regulatory side, the executive branch. To what degree do you think most of our leaders in government, Democrats and Republicans
2: understand the crisis this really is? Well, two years ago, insofar as the state goes, when they when they fixed the transportation trust fund. I mean,
0: put money in the transportation trust fund for yes. long-term transportation projects. Go ahead. And With a gas
2: tax. Yes. Go ahead. And, and set forth an eight-year uh, capital plan. So uh, Governor Christie and the legislators at that time, I believe, acknowledged what the problem was and took steps toward correcting it. Do you believe Governor Murphy and his team understand and are committed to these issues as well? I believe so, yes. He, he campaigned on infrastructure very heavily.
0: Greg Lalavi is a business manager with uh, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. People can go on your website and find out. Uh, do you know the website? I'm putting you on the spot. Do you
2: know sure. That? Oh, yeah. It's www.iuoe825.org. Hold on. Do that again. IUOE825.org. Greg, thank you, buddy. Thank you very much. Appreciate all of us. Be safe on the roads,
0: everyone. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Atabato. We will be right back. You're probably in traffic.
4: To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. and follow us on Twitter at steveadubato.
0: State of Affairs is pleased to welcome our good friend, Senator Tom Cain Jr., Republican, Republican leader in the Senate. How are you doing, Senator? It's great. It's great to see you again, Steve. Good to have you. Uh, Senator, put things in perspective for us. A few days after, when this shows, it'll be a couple weeks, Mm -hmm. legalized sports betting means what in New Jersey?
5: I think it's positive. It's revenue. It's new energy. I think it's obviously something that brings people together and has. I think it's going to be positive for the state
0: you're not concerned about some of those who say, you know what, we are promoting gambling and those who may have a problem get sucked into it and that's the state's well, responsibility. We, well, we always, always need to be protective of the downside.
5: and My hope would be some of the revenue that we use would be used for some of those addiction and other related problems. That happens in any venue. But the goal is here is say, legalize what's already happening across the country, make it a you know, regulated industry, and then also protect people on the downside for who may have a gambling
0: addiction. It's interesting. This is bipartisan, isn't it?
5: It was strongly bipartisan.
0: And that's rare in the State House. You well. see the dome behind
5: you. <laughs> that is rare. It, 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 well, actually, it, it should be more common. I mean, there are things that I think we can find common ground on, on you know, ways to make the state more affordable, make sure that we make sure people can go, go to school in the state of New Jersey, make mm. sure people can afford to live here. I mean, what should be our common goal is three generations of families live in the state of New Jersey. And there mm. are ways we can get there on you know, real and substantive policies. But when people look at Trenton right now, they say, who's racing to increase taxes? You've got a Senate president that wants to have the highest corporate tax in the country, Steve Sweeney, Steve Sweeney and a governor who wants to have the highest income tax in the country. And at a time when New Jersey is saying, we want to attract people like Amazon, we want to attract millennials, we want to attract people who are going to be you know, the wonderful citizens of New Jersey, that's sending the very wrong message. So, is, unfortunately, the Democratic majority is focused on increasing taxes. The Senate Republicans and, and others are saying, how do, we, how do we constrain costs? I mean, can you imagine a state where people are saying, our property taxes are affordable? educational opportunities not only in the k-12 through 12, but the you know the higher education uh, sphere as well that's actually Which affordable and and, and it's achievable in many cases well, and if you can say okay i'm going to get my first job out of college in new jersey i'm going to get my second job in and new stay jersey. in new jersey and stay in new jersey and i'm going to you know and when, like and then i'm going to retire in new jersey because think about this the one thing people are talking about is they're saying right now in five years I'm leaving the state of New Jersey. Too many people are saying that, and the more people say because that, it's unaffordable, because it's unaffordable. And so what they're saying is, if they change that state in 10 years, I'm going to give the state a chance. That means they're not moving to Pennsylvania because people are moving to Pennsylvania or Florida, not to the weather. No, they're not moving to Florida. What the, do you mean? The most, not move, most there's people, no income tax most, there. That's true, but most people are moving to Pennsylvania or New York State because of a lower income tax. Because of a lower tax rate overall. Okay. and they don't have retirement incomes, there are a variety of things like that. So you have people who are doing that but, at all ages. But Senator, is, if, to respect if you look at great and companies like J&J.
0: What does right J&J now, have to do
5: with it? Well, half, think about this. Half of their employees, 8,000 are in New Jersey, half are in Pennsylvania. This last two, their CEO, Brunswick. last two CEOs are Pennsylvania residents. We've got A company got in change. New Brunswick? Yes, has half of its employees. By the way, J&J employees. happens to
0: be one of our underwriters. And it's
5: a great company. It is a great company. Yeah, but if half it of its put- employees are in Pennsylvania. So what we have to do is this. Rather than sending the signal out of Trenton, or whether it's Senate President Sweeney or Governor Murphy who's saying, let's increase spending, let's first have the conversation on how do you reduce costs. And there are ways we can reduce costs on the citizens of New Jersey very quickly, very responsibly. If you focus on ways we have a real conversation
0: on pension health benefits reforms, okay. you could save billions okay, of dollars. we're, we're speaking with uh, State Senator Tom Kane. He is, in fact, the leader of the. Uh, the Senate uh, for the Republicans. Let's let's do this. <clears throat> Steve Atabato here and uh, the question is, you talked about the pension situation. Mm-hmm. We could save money if we uh, did what with the pension? Didn't you guys do what? that in 2011 with Governor Christie, together with the Democrats in the legislature, you were right. involved as well. You cut benefits, you changed all kinds of things about the public employee pension situation. Now it's still in an 80 plus Act- billion dollar hole. What right. didn't you well, do I, right?
5: I, I, actually, it was one third of the Democrats joined us. Okay, but, Every but Republican it wouldn't have now? if you hadn't had everyone now, together. Now what we need to do, we had strong bipartisan support. Yes, so did, we including now, the Senate President including who, who was in, a leader in that fight and continues to talk about it, because he was a leader at the time and since. But now what we need to do is look at the next generation. Right now we look, we've got to look at the health and pension issues. And folks say, right now Obama said, on the Cadillac tax for health care, for example, You're saying say public employees should 60- no
0: longer get what you're calling a Cadillac health care plan.
5: President Obama called it a health care plan What should we it's be 30, doing? $36,000. If we reduce it to the highest, like the equivalent of the highest corporate rate in the in this, in this state, in that type of benefit level, you could save, according to uh, Tom Byrne and Healy. Who headed up the uh,
0: pension commission.
5: Yes, you could save $1.4 billion a year on the state level. Now, if you look at this on the, on the municipal and the county level and the school board level, it'd be an additional $2.5 billion in savings. So you'd be able to follow through responsibly. Well, you meet all of your but obligations, you be and all your responses. employees
0: who are not overpaid you, 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 as it you, is. You would
5: actually be. We, we can find common ground in this area. We found common ground in the past on a bipartisan basis. We can find common ground here, President. Everybody from Republicans and Democrats alike want to say, if you focus on those individuals, we've got to honor the obligations to those those employees, mm. honor the obligations of the taxpayers, because at the end of the day, employees? they would have. They would, what would happen here is they would be able to spend less on a daily basis for their own health care. So it'd be right. more affordable for the taxpayers as well as the employees. It'd be a responsible approach that we, I think we can have strong bipartisan support on going for it and be billions of dollars responsible. Do
0: this, Senator. Yeah. By the way, with uh, Senator Tom Kane, Steve Adubato here. I just want to ask you this, real quick. Uh, higher education. Uh, there was a study that was done. Give me a minute or less on affordability issue and what we found. Right. Well,
5: what we have to figure out why are students leaving the state of? That's New the brain drain. That's brain drain. What kind of advice are they getting from their high school guidance counselors when they're looking at their career choices? What kind of you know pressures are happening at home? What do we need to do to say we've got great? You know, high, school, high schools, great higher education plan, but there's no plan. We've not updated the college, uh, of, you know, how we spend money on colleges from the state level since Rutgers became the state university in the 60s. So, what we've got to say is, how do we refocus the purpose, have a strategic mission, and find common ground to say, we've got to make high school and people graduate from high school college or career ready. We've got to have colleges that are affordable and have meaningful degrees that can translate to jobs. We've got to have a partnership between everybody from higher education, to government, to industry, to nonprofits. We can do that together, and we can have a situation where more than three generations of New Jerseyans stay in New Jersey, as opposed to...
0: Because we lose them. We lose that tax revenue and everything else. But we
5: also else. lose the families. Think, it's not just the tax revenues. Think about this. People are on the planes more frequently now than they've ever been before. Think about what that does to the time you spend with your family. Mm. Think about the people on Father's Day who missed it because their parents are in Florida or in Pennsylvania. Think about the kids that had to do a phone call because or of economic or Skype reasons. Because largely. of economic reasons and the family impact on that. Think about the strength of the families and the state. That's what gets the, the pride. One the more state. quick
0: item, uh, Senator. I want to ask you about the quality of water. You're concerned deeply about this, particularly water quality in urban schools. Go.
5: Yes, we need to do everything we can to make sure that the lead is not getting into those But core, how is lead pipes. getting
0: into the water in those pipes? They're all pipes.
5: We need to focus on how do we, you know, the infrastructure, is. that's going to be a, a conversation I think the legislature is going to have now. How is it, you know, how is the, the lead you know, solder in the pipes, how is that seeping through, and what's an affordable, responsible solution? We've had the lessons to learn from, from Flint, Michigan. There's lessons to learn from across Could the country. Could we have
0: that again? Could we have Flint in New Jersey?
5: I think we've got to do everything we can to make sure we've got to have the safe drinking water throughout New Jersey.
0: This is uh, State Senator Tom Cain, who has been the Republican leader for a few years? Yes. How
5: many? Uh, going
0: on 12. Does it feel longer? Uh, <laughs> Senator Tom Kane's in the House. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, Steve. We'll be back after this.
4: <laughs> to see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve SteveAdubato.
0: We're pleased to welcome Dennis Drazen, who is uh, the CEO of Monmouth Park Racetrack in New Jersey, one of the most beautiful tracks in the nation. It is, because. thank you. It's a
6: jewel of racing.
0: It really is. It is. It's yeah. gorgeous. And I was just saying, uh, full disclosure, my family's been there many times. Not that we bet, We just, you know,
6: Uh, that's a joke.
0: Listen, legalize sports betting. As we do this program toward the end of June, it happened. I saw Governor Murphy. He was the one who placed, I believe, the first bet.
6: He was. He came down on Thursday. He placed the first bets. He (laughs) bet Germany to win the World Cup. Yes, he did. And the Devils to win the Stanley Cup. How many people did you have on Father's Day? Father's Day, we had 23,700 people all (sighs) clamoring to come bet racing, enjoy our park, and... That's sports betting.
0: Dennis, break this down for us. I mean, you were telling me before we got on the air that you and your colleagues have been planning
6: for legalized sports betting in Jersey since 2013. Yeah, we started the first renovation in 2013. We've actually been in this fight with the leagues for over six years. Professional sports leagues. Correct. And uh, we first built out the William Hill Sports Bar in 2013. We got stopped again in 2014 with an injunction from the leagues. And then after the Supreme Court arguments on December fourth, I was pretty certain we were going to win, and so we went ahead and spent additional money, another million and a half, to renovate our grandstand to be ready for opening day. And you know we're into it for five million now between uh, renovations, legal fees, and the struggle. But biggest bet I ever made, and we won. We're ready to do sports betting at Monmouth Park, and it was well received. <clears throat> The first four days of business was terrific, and I think it's really going to make a difference. It's going to bring people back to racetracks and casinos. It's going to make us healthy again. State of New Jersey is going to get a good tax revenue from mm-hmm. all this, and it's really you have to look at it for the big picture. This was a huge victory for states' rights in this country. Why states' rights? Well, the Supreme Court, when they looked at the, the United, issues, states, Supreme United Court. states Supreme Court, when they looked at the issues of Tenth Amendment, federalism. States rights. They ultimately decided that the state's rights issue prevailed that the federal government can't enact the law that prevents the states from controlling except their own for destiny. a couple of states. They said it was okay at that time There were four <laughs> states that were grandfathered uh, yeah. But putting that aside right uh, what really happened is this is a four hundred billion dollar illegal market in this country sports betting uh, offshore bookies crime family ties and while we won't get all of that business, this country is now going to see a large part of that market shift over to legal, regulated... And tax revenues. And tax
0: revenues. I don't want to make the, the case country. for you guys. It's already done. Um, but there will be significant tax revenues. Governor Murphy actually sat here on this set at NJTV uh, studio in Newark uh, before he was governor and he talked about why he thought it was a good idea. But I'm going to also ask you this, devil's advocate question someone say, you know what, this legalized sports betting thing may get some folks involved in gambling that may otherwise not and could cause problems,
6: you say? Well, I think those people, you know, that may get over their head, if that's what you're asking about. say said about the lottery as well, but go ahead. We're very focused on the problem gambling aspect of this. There's not one ad that we can put out there that doesn't send the message, if you or anybody that you know has a problem with gambling, here's the 1-800 number to call. Uh, You're supposed to be betting with your heads not just with your hearts. Mm. So we're very focused on trying to protect that aspect of our public Uh, But I think right now if people are out there betting illegally um, They've got that problem anyway that they need to overcome. So, you know with us You're betting in a legal self safe environment. If you go to a bookie you get in over your head you got problems Here's a question about the the, uh, professional
0: sports teams you said to me before we got on the over, on the air that this so-called integrity fee, in the I believe the NFL, some other professional leagues were saying you owe us, you should give us a quote unquote integrity fee. They went to court to argue this, Dennis, that we should get a cut of what you make from legalized sports betting. Dead issue A,
6: B. What the heck are we talking about? So it's a dead issue, but you know we were in this battle for over six years. The leagues at any point the professional sports leagues, could have come to New Jersey, worked out a revenue share, worked out a resolution that would have been good for everybody. Instead, we spent $10 million in legal fees. We won the battle. We went to court, and now they come out, and they go to Trenton. After they lost? After they lost, they come to Trenton with their lobbyists, and they walk in to legislators and to the governor, and they say, hey, we want an integrity fee. Now, if you step back from that, What that means is they're saying that in a legalized, regulated environment, we need more money to preserve integrity. Does that mean they were looking the other way, knowing this Mm. is a $400 billion industry for the past 30 years, and they did nothing to preserve integrity? I don't think so. I think they did Mm. their job trying to preserve integrity. And to come to New Jersey and now look for a revenue share is just inappropriate. So the Senate president was very strong. Steve Sweeney. Steve Sweeney. He he said said, no. He said, what do you get in Vegas? Nothing. You're going to get the same in New Jersey. The Speaker again. Speaker Coughlin. Gave, nothing. gave them nothing. Governor ultimately signed a bill that gave them nothing. Now, they're out there around the country. No, they're pushing. Trying to get this integrity fee, but it's just not justified. Mm-hmm. If you look at all of the leagues, they have their issues. Um, there are many problems when you look at integrity. For example, you have a number of games that I could rattle off where the public believes that the refs got it wrong mm-hmm. at the end of the game. Uh, take the Cavaliers Pacer game. Take the Golden State, uh, the Golden State NBA Cleveland Finals game.
0: By the way, if you listen to us right now or watch us, this is Dennis Drazen, who is the CEO of Monmouth Park Racetrack. They were really the first down at the Jersey Shore, uh, Long Branch, if I'm not mistaken. Oceanport. Uh, Oceanport, excuse me, down Route 34, to, to make this happen. Uh, you were set up for it. Make your case about the NBA Finals. What, what, what's the point? So,
6: so the point is, you know, there are a lot of people who think. The refs got it wrong, and the refs make their rulings. And then, like, in some of these games, the leagues come out the next day, say, yeah, refs blew it. And the leagues, then, are in a position where their own referees blew a call that made a significant difference in the game. Mm-hmm. So we're not out there saying, because you guys blew it, you need to pay off all these bettors. Uh, besides that, like, Mark Cuban of the Dallas Mavericks. He came out the next day after the decision said, every one of our franchises is now worth double what they were worth yesterday. Because of legalized sports betting? Because of legalized sports betting. I mean, how many people would watch some of these games if they didn't have some action? So we've really increased their viewership. Action meaning a bet? A bet. Got a few seconds left. Um, You're excited about the future? I'm very excited. You know, We had great results at Monmouth Park. Uh, Our first few days when you don't have NFL, You know, football season, which is your biggest time, have been super. The bettors are coming in, they're watching, they're wagering, and they're staying engaged not only in sports betting, but in the community. They're spending money in restaurants, they're coming to the track, tourism is up. Uh, We showed significant increases. we were up on Father's Day by 28 percent on our attendance, 18 percent on our live product. This is going to be a win-win for New Jersey, the racetrack, the casinos, and everyone involved.
0: Thank you, Dennis. We appreciate it. Thank you. Check you out next time on State of Affairs. Thank you, Dennis.
6: Good to see you. That was well done.
4: State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 25 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV Studio at Two Gateway. Funding has been provided by the law firm of Gibbons, PC, Johnson & Johnson, Englewood Health, Suez, NJ Best, New Jersey Council of County Colleges, and by these public-spirited organizations, individuals, and associations committed to informing New Jersey citizens about the important issues facing the Garden State, and by Employers Association of New Jersey. What is your child's dream for the future? Doctor? Teacher? Architect? Whatever they aspire to be, a college education may realize those dreams. And NJ Best can help. It's the college savings plan specifically designed for New Jersey families. Start saving today with as little as $25, because now is the time to invest in their future. To learn about NJBEST 529 College Savings Plan, its investment, objectives, risks, and costs, read the Investor Handbook available at njbest.com.